Hi there, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Listen with Cheryl McKay. John Woods is my guest today, and if you're like me and you'd like to know more about the birds around you, John is the person you'd love to go outdoors with. John has studied birds for decades in his career as a field biologist and a naturalist, with some time devoted to bats and bears and elk along the way, and he has spent many years listening to bird song and bird call, learning to identify who he's hearing. Recently, he's also been part of an international team creating a free app that can help you identify bird sounds too. I talked to John recently from his home in Salmon Arm, and I asked him about the birds he'd seen on his morning walk. Mainly, when I go on my morning walks, I'm listening. Uh, and actually, most birders, that's what they're, that's what they're doing. They're, they're listening uh, as much or more so than they're looking. The sound is such a wonderful way to perceive birds in the environment. Who did you hear this morning? Well, the first out of the house were a whole uh, bunch of house finches that were singing. And singing is, is a thing that birds do in the, just in advance and during nesting seasons. And that's their purpose, to attract a mate or to say, hey, this is my spot. So the, the uh, house finches were singing. And then I heard mainly calls of other birds. Now, calls are huh. any, anything else that a bird says that doesn't have to do with uh, having a, a mate or a territory. It's a call. So a call is like, ah, hawk above. Dive for the dive for the <laughs> dive for the bushes. <laughs> well, and also uh, red-breasted nuthatches. Uh, quite a few of them. I had a flock of pine siskins. They're a little brown bird that eats pine seeds and other kinds of conifer seeds. And they, uh, there are lots of them around here right now. And uh, Oregon juncos, both American crow and common raven. Now, Salmon Arm is kind of a neat place in that we have both crows and ravens. And how do you tell? The easiest way is crows caw, caw, caw. And I can't do this one as well. <laughs> and, and, and ravens croak. Guttural, yeah. guttural. And uh, oh, probably about 20 species, you know, through the day, just from the, the backyard. And, and then I actually go out purposefully you know, bird watching. So I, I make birds part of my, uh, nature part of my everyday. I want to come back. I, I had never thought of that distinction between the song and the call and, and the purposes of the two. It's really a, a handy distinction. Um, it helps you, and of course, it helps you start understanding bird behavior. So so right now, uh, the, uh, the chickadees, for example, and uh, just about everybody knows the call of a chickadee, chickadee dee dee dee. The the name chickadee is a mnemonic, sort of from that uh, chickadee dee call. Uh, it everyone thinks, oh, it's happy, it's greeting me and everything, and it's more like a, mm, who are you? Huh. Some problem here? Oh, get away! And not just to people, of course, to other chickadees. So it's actually a bit of an alarm and upset call. Whereas the song. Is a, is a beautiful, whistled, to my ear, um, sweetie, 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 double noted like that on two different pitches. And they uh, start singing them. They sing a little bit all year round, but right now they're starting to sing, seriously sing, because, and sometimes you'll have males on either side of the street 
singing sweetie but it doesn't really mean sweetie it means this is my territory oh <laughs> unless you're a female and that means hot come over and check check out this side of the street <laughs> and you <laughs> so, have to read so, between the lines yeah and that's i think it's what makes it really interesting like that distinction just helps sort out why you hear some things at some time of the year and not at others and of course most birds have a whole uh, dictionary full of other vocalizations, I'll use that, that are adapted. Like uh, on one of the, the tapes I, I sent you, the loons were making a whale. That particular whale, what it is, I was on the ground watching what was happening. That was at our cabin in the Chilcotin, and there was a pair of loons that had a new hatched chick. And that whale is a warning call, eagle in the air. And when they make that particular whale, uh, and we look out, we always say, hear the loon, look for the eagle. And you almost always see that there's an eagle somewhere. And of course, they're being very de defensive with their newborn chick. So, so this first part is the tremolo, which is another call. And it means that the loons are very excited. Uh, um, and there's many other things singing in there as well. There's about 11 other species in the background. There you go. That's a, a very upset loon that has a baby chick by it and an eagle is flying over. Well, there's several types of loon calls, but this particular one when we hear this and it's insistent like that, we look for an eagle in the sky and almost invariably there's an eagle there. But this one has a brand new, brand new chick, so we can see it on the water and uh, one of the pair is uh, announcing to all, eagle is here. And we have, so we hear that all the time. And this, huh. what, when the track started there, uh, there's the, qua the wavering call it's a tremolo. Tremolo is what it's called. So it's the, uh, you know, most people call it the laughter. Ah, right. Yes. Ah, yeah. Ah. That's what they think of as loon calls. Well, that one is a highly excited loon. So it started with that. It's perceived the eagle. Just another uh, thing about the, the, the loon call. So that whale, you often hear it at night. So that's sort of the iconic uh, sound of a loon. Uh, in the in the evening, and one night uh, uh, we heard that call. We didn't know what was going on on the water, but there was a pack of wolves nearby, and that sounds somewhat like the howl of a wolf. And we heard the loons doing these long wails, and then we heard a timber wolf. I think the the loon was wailing about something else, but it triggered a howl. We think from the Timberwolves. And then once the adults started howling, the pups joined in and we just had a cacophony of nature music, <laughs> sort of, of for, in the darkness, uh, you know, uh, from, the, from uh, the, our fireside. How beautiful. Yeah. So, so when we listen to these things in nature, we just don't want to identify, oh, that's a loon. 
but it's it's fun to think of what's going on you know what's going on out there in the blackness of the lake it adds to the thrill i guess of you know being there at that moment and as you say most of us for example with the, the chickadee or the loon we think oh they're singing it's pretty it's nice but interpreting it or understanding what's going on is a whole skill developed over many years of observing and listening i think yeah it it, ta- it takes a while but it's accessible. The, the The main thing is that people learn to listen to birds. You know, unfortunately, in a sense, in our in our lives, there are so many uh, human made sounds that aren't particularly enjoyable. It, with practice, if you if you go purposefully to listen to birds, you can train your ear, even in noisy environments, to hear that just about everywhere there's birds either singing or calling. That, to me makes uh, life more interesting, just eavesdropping on the natural part of things that's still surviving around us. I want to come back to some of the the sounds that you sent in just a moment, but I just want to know, John, where that all started for you, that listening with intent. Well, listening with intent, I think, started, uh, I was brought up in Toronto, and uh, my childhood dream was (laughs) move somewhere away from Toronto, because I just <laughs> because I love wilderness areas and I love canoe tripping as a teenager. And there was a fellow named uh, Gunn, Dr. Gunn, who's a famous sound recordist, nature recordist, and he produced a a letter a, a, a long play record. This is back in the '60s, called "A Day in Algonquin Park," hmm. and that park featured loons. No surprise, right? <laughs> like yes. Lizzie the loon. And anyway, so when I, you know, when I was sort of busy with high school and all the noises and things of, of, uh, of a big city, and I'd rather have been canoeing somewhere, I used to listen to that album over and over, and it had many species besides loons. But I was kind of hooked on that one because I could imagine myself being up somewhere in a wild place. But I mainly, when I, in my teenage years, when I started to study nature intently, uh, I was mainly visually oriented, like most people, and learn my, learning my birds by sight. So it's been only in about the last 30 years <laughs> that I've really, only? that I've really knuckled down. Yes, only <laughs> knuckled down to. Uh, and and when I started recording, is there something wonderful about learning something that you recorded yourself? So you were there. You you saw the bird sing. When I play my own recordings back to myself, I'm there looking out into the darkness or watching the yellow warbler open its bill. And so that really, really helped me. So quite a few years ago, my first sound recording was of a sawwood owl uh, in the Algonquin Park again, singing. Uh, They have a repeated whistle, which is their song. And I remember carrying something, a big boom box, uh, reel to reel sort of (laughs) quotation marks, portable (laughs) tape recorder into into the bush and uh, getting my first sound recordings. And by making recordings, I think that's what really accelerated me in the learning. Because uh, a a variety of things, but one of them is, and this I started, um, my wife and I have had many, many canoe trips in different areas of Canada. So I would would bring a little cassette recorder then. It was technologically very basic, but hold a cassette towards the bird as we paddled along. And then when I got home, get my friends who were experts at bird identification to help me. And that was tremendous because there was a sample. You know, it was like having a photograph, something, okay, that's a that's a whatever, that's a right. chestnut-sided warbler. Well, I had a soundtrack, and I've been doing that, I guess, 
for a few decades <laughs> now, but I have a much better equipment. <laughs> and much lighter. easier to carry. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I can, my, the, uh, in my shirt pocket, I can have, I was making recordings yesterday. My daughter and I were skiing up in the Larch Hills, which are above Salmon Arm. And there was an amazing influx of uh, white-winged crossbills. They breed any time of the year. They home in on the, uh, the cone crops, and we've had a phenomenal cone crop. And these ones were up at the higher elevations of the trail system there, and they had just come in in the last few weeks, and they were groups of them doing courtship flights and singing. They have a repetitive singing. But this time, to record them, I held up my iPhone <laughs> with the <laughs> microphones pointed in their direction. Uh, not a perfect, uh, not a perfect type of recording. I have a little heavier gear that when it's purposeful, but I don't carry that around just when I go for a cross-country ski for a, for a few no. hours. <laughs> and and then the magic now is instead of then just uh, the software I use is called Merlin. It's a it's a free app available on the on the web from the App Store. Uh, it's produced by Cornell University. This one is phenomenal because it not only makes a recording, it tells you what it thinks it is. Which so is So I don't have, fantastic. have to mail it to a friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, A, know somebody who knows these things, <laughs> it, it, right? Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that, that's the thing. So yes, yeah. the, you're enlisting the power of citizen science to help you out. I do regular, when I go eBird checklists, and yes, I've done one already today for my dog walk. <laughs> uh, but we can, you can then attach sound files to the, your checklist. Oh. And they go into a, a, a national library in the States, the Macaulay Library at Cornell. And then they were used to actually develop this software. But yesterday I got a really nice recording of the, of the white wing crossbills. So I, I added that to my my eBird checklist. And then there are many, 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 many hundreds of thousands, probably millions of these recordings now that are in this database in Cornell. And they have used that to train the Merlin software. You not only have a, a, a camera and a, a sound recording device, but you have a an expert birding friend in your pocket. <laughs> in your pocket, yeah. yeah. And I think that's really made a revolution. Many, many people who are into birding, you'll ask, well, do you know your birds by song? You know, you'll ask them, you see them out with binoculars, no, how are you at song? No, I'm not very good at songs. They are what people who have become incredibly enthusiastic about Merlin. Maybe look, look for it, try to see it, try to see its bill move to make sure that the one you think is singing is the one. So in many ways, it's the best time ever to learn to, to listen to birds and to know what you're listening to. So quite, quite, quite magical in a way. It's, I mean, it's not magic, but it's magic that so many people voluntarily cooperated in order to produce something that's free. Oh, I, I should tell you a funny story. Beware that not everything that sings is a bird. Oh? Uh, yeah, I had a fellow <laughs> send me. So what I do with the local birders here, I say, well, if there's one that you don't think Merlin has right or you want to just send me, me to give it a try, I'm happy to. So a fellow sent this to me and he said, well, this thing, Merlin just can't come up with anything for this sort of a chattery call. The reason is because it was a red squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so other animals make, make up first. Now you spend some time 
helping develop this whole app too, or helping to to listen to and and work on a lot of the files. Yes, um, the first winter of COVID, I got an email from Cornell asking me if I would help go through files of certain species that I'm most familiar with, make sure that they are what they say they were, the file is correctly named, and also draw little boxes around each time a certain species sings. So if you can imagine a, a spectrograph, a visual representation of the sound, when you listen in the outdoors, there's usually more than one thing singing. So right. they might label the file uh, white-winged crossbill, like yesterday. But in the background, there could well have been a red-breasted nuthatch. Uh, what is the computer going to consider is the white-winged crossbill? So what I, I said, yes, that sounds great, particularly given that COVID was descending upon us and everything seemed to be closing down. And so I, I chose mainly species of the Pacific Northwest because of where I live. Right. And most of the, most of the, uh, the people they had doing the work were uh, in their population centers of California or, or uh, New England area, you know, the big concentrations. So there were, there were still lots of species that were, were special for around here. Uh, like American Red Start, which is in both places, but I, I picked this one because we have more complicated songs than uh, they do in, in the, that's another, that's a different topic. So anyway, you can imagine then, so I'm saying, okay, of these 50 songs, these 25 are of this species. And so that they would then be used to help train. And there were many other volunteers around North America. And, and why I say it was just a, a blessing that this came up at the time is this meant that I would sit at my computer listening to birds pretty much the whole the whole first winter of COVID. Gosh. And also listening to them, some of the sound samples were from other parts of North America. So I get to listen to, you know, I picked out the ones I'm supposed to pick out, but then I'd eavesdrop on the other things that happened to be in the <laughs> files that were more exotic, uh, you know, to me. To your ears, yeah. Yeah, uh. yeah. John, you went, this is your field of study too. I mean, this has been your your life really, hasn't it? Birds and well, studies in nature, yeah. biology, yeah. yeah. Bats, bears, <laughs> birds. <yeah. laughs> all the things um, with B, yeah. Well, uh, all the things that got me uh, outdoors and enjoying nature. So I, I have a scientific interest in these things. Listening and looking to na nature also just makes me happy. Yeah. Where did you pick up the bears and the bats then in the, in the course of this? Well, the bats happened in Ontario. Um, I was very keen on bird banding as a teenager. And one uh, night, a bat bander visited and he gave us a talk on his PhD research. He, he made the mistake of saying at the very end of his talk, and if any of you would like to come out on a bat banding expedition, come and see me at the end of the talk. Well, I was, <laughs> I was up there like a shot and <laughs> said, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, this went on to, to be a really neat relationship that I developed with now Dr. Brock Fenton, who's a world authority on bats. And I was his research assistant during, I ended up getting a job working for the Royal Inter Museum. So uh, via birds in a way, I got into bats and then all over the countryside with uh, with Brock doing the field work and into mines and caves and adventures galore. Wow. Then just various things. Then my my own graduate work was uh, studying elk 
Huh, that seems like quite a switch. Well, elk sing, you know, they have their, their, their elk bugling. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> the, that. The yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I've always been pretty much equally interested in all aspects of biology. So it's where the opportunities are. I worked for national parks for many years as a chief park naturalist and then as a research scientist. But when I was working for Glacier National Park, I was part of a multi-member team studying grizzlies in the, the, the west slopes of the Rockies and uh, the Columbia Mountains. So Yoho, Kootenai through Glacier and in and out of the park with the province. And we, we were capturing and radio tagging and releasing grizzly bears and black bears. So we did about oh, 76 grizzlies and 100 and, or 200 and some black bears. And, and that got me into DNA. <laughs> we're trying to find ways of censusing bears without having to capture them. So we, we worked with geneticists in developing a technique to identify them from a single hair so we didn't need to catch the whole bear anymore just catch... <laughs> thank goodness yes there's a bird watching connection to that the grizzly work by the way when you're uh, imagine somewhere you know 20 minutes by helicopter into the wilds of the back of Glacier National Park and you catch a bear and then you land and you tranquilize it and you handle it then you do what we call babysitting the bear the bear is under the influence of the drug. He's free, he's unattached, but you don't, you don't want to leave him alone in case another bear comes along while he's still groggy. Typically like a little kitty's t-shirt over the eyes of the, the grizzly's <laughs> head. Uh, and you back away, try for a, a, oh, you know, a few hundred feet away, uh, and you sit down, guns across your, your knees and everything, because you have to protect yourself from not, nothing ever happened that we had to use that, but you had to have it. And then you had to wait for sometimes an hour and a half or two hours. Oh. Oh, yeah. So, but, so what do you do? Well, the fellow I was working with on this project was very good at his birds by song. And so what we did as we babysat the grizzly bears, we would do these a bird checklist for the time we were, were there. Because we were in some pretty... <laughs> fabulous backcountry roadless country and we thought well nobody gets to come and do this here and then as the bear would regain its abilities we would of course sneak away yes yeah. but, there, but the big thing is there was quiet time in the forest and it must have been so quiet interlude. there of course we have to be very attentive we're keeping our eyes and ears open for what for uh, bears coming or for, for yeah. other bears come, coming in i'd love to go back here to some of the files that you sent john and also, I would love to talk to you another time about some of these other adventures, too. There, there are a lot of stories there that I'm sure we would love to hear. So we'll have to try to do this again. I'm just going to go in order of the, the clips that you sent. Okay. And you can just tell us a little bit about what we're listening to. So here's one. And that's the one we were just talking about, right? That's, that's the sweetie, sweetie. Call, that song of the black-capped chickadee. Now, this bird is a... A northern flicker and that right. is his song and they'll start be singing like that uh, shortly in March you'll hear them and also they're dr they're uh, tapping and drumming on metal roofs here's another it's so beautiful isn't it I mean we, we see these birds everywhere but when you just listen, it's just such a beautiful song. This is the American Robin. They're a tremendous bird. If, uh, if someone wants to start learning their birds, not necessarily become a full-fledged bird watcher, but just pick up a few from 
Uh, this is a fabulous bird to start with. It's found in just about everybody's backyard, it seems, uh, you know, across much of Canada. If you can get a robin into your, into your mindset, and what you're trying to do with, you, you'll have lots of chances to practice. That's the good thing, because robins right. sing from uh, exposed branches and tops of trees and things like this. So if you can identify a robin, you'll get a lot of bird watching in too. You actually get to see. And what I, what I tell students when I'm teaching birding skills is to see if you can see its bill move when it sings. Try to synchronize watching a robin with its bill moving. And people think I'm kidding, but I'm not. And they soon start seeing the bill move. Da-da, da-da-da, da-da. And the, the beauty of that is you know for sure, one, it focuses your attention if you're trying to see the bill move, and you know for sure it's the robin you're listening to. Right, not something that you can't see further back in the tree. No, that, yeah. that recording, by the way, was made uh, in the Chilcotin uh, in April, and it was one of those rare instances where there was just about no other sounds. That's sort of uh, what, what you dream about when you're a sound recorder. And if you learn the robin, People put words to the to bird songs, and typically for robin, it's you know, cheery up, cheery up, cheery up, tree, you know, something like that. That does nothing for me. I don't. It doesn't have the quality. I mean, it's a little handy. It's a mnemonic that you can use, but what really is good is if you can see the bird as it sings, to actually to learn them. Also, there are quite a few other birds that are sort of robin sound alikes. So once you get a robin down pat, practicing in the backyard or your favorite dog walker park, you'll notice that, hey, that sounds like a robin, but something strange about it. And then there's a whole bunch of things you can get off into from the robin. Now that's so familiar. Yes. I don't know who it is though. It's a song sparrow with the <laughs> robin singing in the background, by, by the way. It's a song sparrow, and uh, they're a little harder to identify, They have, but they have wonderfully complex songs. And just about everyone is different. This is another thing about songs compared to calls. Most calls are genetically inherited, so you never have to hear another member of your species to do your calls. But songs, half the birds in the world learn their songs, have to learn them, and they they won't be able to develop their song unless they hear some adults sing. Because of that learning component, essentially every bird has a slightly different repertoire. It has a song book. That uh, particular song sparrow was along the shores of uh, Shuswap Lake here along uh, our foreshore trail. It was just singing repeatedly. And then it was after a number of editions of this song, it would change to another song. And then a few meters down the trail, you'd get in the range of another song sparrow male, and again, doing its song different from the other one. And so as you walk along, I was with a, a, a group I, I led uh, last year specifically to listen to birds and pointing out, we stopped at these different song sparrows, you know, uh, and as, so as we walked one way down the foreshore trail, we heard a sample of, we actually got 40 different song sparrows. Now when we walk back, they won't be singing most of them the same songs. A little, a little knowledge on these things, and it, it can make it really, really interesting. And, and give you an example of how complex the acoustical world is in nature. 
so you'd really start to notice the 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 tiny differences then from right one These bird ones, song to the next hey? exactly and that's yeah and that's what I, I i really like doing is studying the differences between individuals or a, a, a particular individual then change its song onto something else so again with you if if uh, you download the merlin app and you have your backyard robin it's likely the same robin unless there's been a big fight and they've changed their territories and you can if you record them at some length or perhaps a few times during the day you can often hear and that's that's one of the things that then becomes a joy because particular robins then who migrate and then come back you can actually if they have very distinctive components to the human ear you'll go that robin's back that particular one is back because you recognize it by its voice and where you really starts to become fun, I think, is when you know these birds, not because they say, you know, witchy, witchy, witch or sweetie, but because of the quality of their voice, just like I can recognize your voice and you can recognize mine without seeing us. You, you would probably go, gee, that I go, sounds oh, like yeah, John. Oh, yeah, that's John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's because you the words may be the same, like the same basic pattern, but the way you say it and the quality and the tones uh, distinctly make it that particular species of bird. So at that point, you can just hear a little snippet of a bird song and at least, and right away you go ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk in your mind that it's, you're down to one or two. What I always like to do is to hear at least twice because I've been walking or whatever, and then I've, I've zeroed in on it. I want to hear it again now that, yep, okay, that, that is what I think, <laughs> or, oh, no, that isn't what I thought it was. You know, that, it's something else, because you're, you, you te- it takes a, you know, a, a second or two to get focused. So you must have some familiar voices come back to the yard then for a few years in a row, do you, or? Yeah, there's a, there's a male house finch. He would be a, a world-class singer, in the human in the human world, uh, who happens to to sing from our, the top of our uh, spruce? Pretty sure he's the same one. And uh, at our previous house in Re- where we lived in Revelstoke, there was one that had a phrase in its song that I've never heard any other robins sing. And for several years in a row, right in exactly the same spot, I'd listen and up, oh, it's back. It it adds a lot of uh, I think in, enjoyment to. Uh, perceiving the natural world to be eavesdropping purposefully on them, not just identify, you know, it's a, it's a robin or it's a Western tanager or whatever, but what is it doing? Why is it doing it? A good example is if you hear the angry, you know, chickadee dee 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 calls, the more dees, by the way, is the more excited <laughs> the chickadee is. <laughs> Uh, and maybe red-breasted uh, nuthatches that basically go yeah 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 yeah. Well, when it's yeah 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 and d d d d, I start looking for an owl hidden in the bush. Okay. <laughs> right. Because uh, and and most birders will tell you that that's that's one little secret trick they have up their sleeves is uh, these birds will often be get very upset if a predator is nearby. So always pay attention to very upset birds and look for the hawk or the owl. That is uh, again recorded at our cabin. These two great horned owls, those are great horned owls. So 
first of all, you can, you can identify all the owls by their hoot or by their whistle or by their scream. There's several that hoot. This is a great horned owl, and you can identify this great horned owl because at the very end, it's like a morning dove's hoo-hoo, like a dove's hoo-hoo at the end. Anyway, this is a pair, a male and female, and you can tell that because the pitches are different. One is a higher pitched series than the other. Higher and back is a, is a male. So you see that how that adds a whole bunch more of, of interest and you know mystery and everything else to the experience. Sounds like a little machine. Yeah. So that that is a uh, a displaying ruffed grouse, and this this ruffed grouse is standing on the top of a log, and he's beating the air with his wings. So instead of, so his song is actually a percussion. Uh, he's beating the air to make that that rhythm of da 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 right. And so that is his ad for a, a female that, hey, look at look at how I can drum. I, I, I can drum. I'm probably a, a, a very, very good heritage uh, genes here in the rough grouse department. That one is quite a low frequency sound. So some people have, would have trouble hearing it if the people have lost, for various reasons, the lower range. It's one I, I, I really like because that tells me where the rough grouse is. So then I, what I do is I start then really looking carefully to see if I can see through the, the movement of the wings and the tail as it's beating the air into that drum roll. But that is its song. It's uh, acoustics made by birds, not just from their syrinx, from their voice box, which is different from the one in mammals, but the syrinx deliver some of the song, uh, in this case, the wings beating, or some in some species, the tail feathers vibrating through the air. Those can all be what they use to make the sound. Something that really surprises me is the volume that a tiny bird can achieve. And maybe it's something to do with how you're saying the, the way they produce sound, the voice box is so different, because you look at a little bird up in the tree and it's broadcasting, really. It really is, yeah, broadcasting. Well, they have a very specialized system for singing. They, they, they don't have a larynx like we do. So we, we have a larynx that's just the, in our throat, the, the back of our mouth, just below that. And it's a single chamber with vocal cords in, in humans. Well, birds have a double voice box that's located right after uh, the first branches from each lung. And either side of this syrinx, can be controlled independently. Now, this is an interesting thought. So, a bird can actually sing two different notes at once. That's how they do that. Right? And so what we're getting is the combination. It basically can do a duet with itself because they have independent control on either side of the syrinx. So some of the things they do, no mammal could ever <laughs> could ever <laughs> no. could ever do because we we need to have another one of us to make to do yeah. a duet. <laughs> Or a but loop they, tape they, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when you think of it, birds have really developed a tremendous vocalization system for, for really good good reason. The protecting themselves from predators, 
and their offsprings by warning calls or calling to each other to form a flock or demonstrating what a good potential parent they would be. And so those are really, those are, those are very large functions in the biological world, staying alive and making new, <laughs> making right, new of right. your kind, you know, that, it doesn't get more basic than that. So they spend a lot of time and it's thought that a lot of this is done acoustically for a variety of reasons. But one of them is that it is a pretty low energy thing. You might consider the bird song loud, mm -hmm. but compared to having a physical fight with another bird, uh, this is a pretty low energy way to exert dominance. You know, the, the, the equation works out if they can communicate with each other in a non-combative way, just a war of words, if you like, rather than a, a physical war. That is going to take a lot less en energy with a lot less dire consequences. So it, really, it's a marvel they spend so much time vocalizing. This is a, a tremolo, the tremolo calls. This is a group of 10 uh, common loons in the middle of a lake. Gosh. Basically having a flap up, you know, just uh, they're, they're displaying to each other. Probably what these are is a group of non-breeders sorting out who's who. All the breeders have got chicks somewhere, or most of them. And they often spontaneously get into these things. And when it happens at night, it can just be one of the greatest things to hear, you know, in the stillness of like two o'clock in the morning. And suddenly there's a big flapping and the, the, the vibrating laughter calls of the loons. They're probably not having fun. They're, they're probably, as I say, sorting out who's who, who's, who's top loon on the lake at that, at that, at that moment. Well, thank you so much for this. It's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope at some point we could go for a walk and, and talk some more about this. Well, that would be great. I could introduce you to a few of our local birds. That'd be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and where can people find the Merlin app? Because I know all kinds of people listening will go, want to go, go and do that. Yes. Go to the app store on your phone and it's a free app called Merlin. And you can download it. You have to establish an account on eBird, but it's a free account. So it's a, it also contains, by the way, sample songs, the apps. You can play, you can play them to practice and also photograph. Thank you so much, John. Okay. Appreciate you're, all your time. You're welcome. Nice meeting you today. Nice to see yeah. you. That's Dr. John Woods in Salmon Arm. And once again, that app he mentioned is called Merlin. You know, I'd love to hear some of your favorite bird sounds and you could send a little audio to my email, hello at CherylMcKay.com. You can always be in touch with me there, and you can check out the website, which is simply CherylMcKay.com, where you can find some blog material about the podcasts and other bits of information about events that are coming up. Thanks so much for downloading. Bye for now. <laughs>